If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com slash audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com slash audio. That's carshield.com slash audio. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera, pero este... Comenzará en tu mente ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado Para vivir Tu nueva aventura Nueva Ram 1500 Hecha para vivir Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC So that on their own Which is the drivers Will take up the responsibility and say, I don't want the law enforcer to be there before I start to behave. The World Health Organization predicts that nine years from now, injuries from road traffic accidents will be the seventh major cause of death globally. Ghana will be severely hit by 2030 if serious steps are not taken to literally cleanse our roads. If we're constructing roads, what are the public health factors in there? Are they considered? You know, because we need to engineer the roads such that they are safe. And in making it safe, we also have to make it more difficult for people to do the wrong thing. So if we don't do the right engineering, it's okay to do the footbridge. But if it is such that people have alternatives which are riskier, they might take it. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCI US LLC. Joy, joy FM. I love this station. Welcome to Springboard, your virtual university. My name is Albert Okran, welcoming you on behalf of the Virtual Academic Board, chaired by Comfort, with the support of the entire crew. Springboard is your most inspirational show and the point of convergence for the greatest minds. Springboard is brought to you by the Springboard Ratio Foundation, in partnership with the multimedia group and sponsored by MTN Pulse, UMB Bank, the enterprise group with support from the graphic communications group. And that means that in the graphic business, you will find a full transcript of this interview we are about to have today. So, bookmark the 10th of June, Thursday the 10th of June, because it will be the 
biggest virtual convocation of the most ambitious, aspirational, and determined young people from all across Ghana and beyond. I'll tell you more about the second quarter edition of the Springboard 2021 Roadshow, the virtual convocation in the course of this program, including our keynote speaker and our guest mentor for this edition. We've had a great time so far in our journey we call my top 10, trying to explore the top 10 principles of mentors from various fields. So far, we've had Moses K. Baden, Professor Odrigajipo, Reverend Daniel Obamitete, Dr. Opokuwari Ampoma, Uncle James Ibo-White, Bishop Patricia Sapo. Today, it's very special because on the seventh edition, we bring you the first female pro-vice-chancellor of the University of Ghana, somebody that Comfort and I have known for 34 years. And that's because in the year 1987, when we went to first year, she literally took Comfort under her wings and guided her through her undergrad and postgraduate work. And I'm sure if Comfort had stayed the course, she would have become another prof, but she chose mm -hmm. a different career path. But we remain eternally grateful to Professor Florence Abner Dolphin. Prof, good to see you. Thank you. It's great to have you on the show once again. Yeah. So, um, I this is one interview that I, I would have I would have loved for comfort to have because of your impact in her life. But I want to say a big thank you to you for for investing in the students who had the privilege of being under your tutelage, especially those who came to the linguistics department and mm -hmm. that extra interest you took in guiding and nurturing them along the academic path, madam. Oh, thank you for the compliments. It was nice, you know, I think one of the best things about teaching is that you relate to with very young people, much younger than you are, and I suppose it helps you to also keep young. <laughs> I'm curious about the motivation because I, I have interacted with a number of your students, some of who are now are now holding very significant. We have a, we have a linguistic student now being the pro vice chancellor. We've had. She's the fourth person from linguistics. I, I was going to say there's something that department that is producing. I don't know. How. Yeah. But it's quite an interesting development, and mm -hmm. many of them that I interact with talk about a certain angle to your your style of interacting with your students that was very encouraging. What was the motivation while you were a lecturer? I think, actually, there is something about young people which is very interesting. You know, they come up with some ideas that you haven't even thought about. And um, it also helps to keep you young, so... I suppose that's it. Yes. Right. And just by the way, this is your second appearance on the, on the virtual university. The first time was in the very first month of this initiative. It actually was the 25th of August, 2008. Wow. This show <laughs> premiered on the 4th, on the 4th of August, 2008. It was a Monday, Monday evening program. And your, your appearance was the 4th in the series. That's right. If you tell me what topic 
prof spoke about when she came on the first edition of springboard in 2008 how many years ago is it 13 years ago 13 years ago i'm going to get you a copy an autographed copy of her brand new book and send it to you ship it to you mail it to you wherever you are in the world and that will be the gift from the springboard ratio foundation to celebrate this amazing woman so what topic did prof talk about when she came on springboard your virtual university on the 25th of august 2008 the question is on facebook on twitter on all our social media pages i'll tell you the answer at the end of the show by then nobody has gotten it then it's gone but anyone who gets it first on our social media pages i'm going to give you a copy of prof's brand new book let me talk about the book from action chrome to pro vice chancellor it's a beautiful book with your face nicely put put on it many people don't get to write biographies how does it feel to write the story of your life it sort of brings back you know things that you've done over the years uh some of them very pleasant some of them maybe not so pleasant and so on oh wonderful let me try to tease out some of the things i know about you and i'm sure if i get to read a book um eventually i'm going to ask you even more questions and, and i know where to find you but let, let me start by asking you about the areas that are of interest to me and i know that you happen to have been one of the few women who went to fanspin school oh, yeah. and then guess what also went to commonwealth hall and i went to fanspin i was a vandal as well so I, I need to explore those themes first before we even get into okay. tell me about the fanspin school Oh, Infant Film was quite an interesting experience. Um, we were the second set of uh, girls who went to Infant Film. What happened? You know, I mean, they were for uh, the sixth form because Wesley girls didn't have a sixth form. Before that, the um, those who there was a group of students from Wesley girls who were, who did their sixth form at uh, Senegassens, and. Then later on, um, the headmistress decided that we go to Francisville. That was a great decision. I have a feeling they compared the two and they found out the Francisville was better. <laughs> you didn't well, say that. I said that. I didn't say Thank you very much. So the Senegasians <laughs> people made up to attack me for that. Yeah. So, so you ended up in Francisville. Yes. What, what was it like? You, you, you came for lectures in the morning yeah the driver would bring us to the school in the morning and then we will have uh, breakfast when the, with the boys and then after the lectures we will have lunch together in the boys dining hall and um, we had a very interesting experience what was funny was that the teachers didn't even know how to handle us because and, and the boys also in the class, you know, I think some of them were a bit uncomfortable and wouldn't probably answer a question. They weren't, they weren't too sure of in case the girls would laugh at them or something. And that sounds very interesting because some of our colleagues went to mixed schools and so they saw girls every day. But having girls in infantry school was a very big thing. I mean, even yeah. on, on visiting days when the girls came around, People would dress well, be of their very best behavior. So seeing girls in lecture room, I mean, was an aberration. <laughs> so I can imagine that. <laughs> how, how did you feel about it? Oh, what was interesting 
that sticks out in my mind is that we had this, I wouldn't mention his name, this master who decided that everybody there was a boy. You know, so he wouldn't call us like Florence or Mary or something like that. And you'd be sitting there and you'd shout, Akerson. I was Florence Akerson at the time. And the very deep voice that all of us had never been taught by a male teacher before. Even if you had the right answer, it takes time to get your thoughts back together. Wow. And um, we had a funny situation where one of the girls had, her surname was Wright, and there was a boy also called Wright. So then he would shout, Wright. And both of them would sit there looking at him. And then invariably he will end up saying woman rights. Wow. Which means something else. <laughs> you know, so the girl then will have to answer the question. But honestly, we found it very weird. I mean, just call us by our first names or something. And that would have been perfectly normal, but he didn't. You know, that's male interesting. And female. Mm-hmm. So you did the whole of six four meaning classroom? Two years, yes. So they called you an old boy? Yes. But that's not out of order, is it? Actually, we've never labeled, you know, officially called ourselves old boys. But when we see, we've been going to uh, old boys meetings sometimes, yes. Yes. Now we are old and we don't. (laughs) Don't go anymore. And then you also crossed over to, but it also means that it speaks to the the absence of adequate facilities at the time for, for female Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So in my group, there were just five of us who did sick form. And there were only three in the previous year. If we had had uh, teachers in the school, we could... And, you know, there was this school which was formed by Nkrumah after the... uh, Some 1950 or so... Ghana National. Okay. Ghana National had been established in uh, uh, the Wardbrook Gardens. And um, so they had male teachers there to teach them. And we could easily have had male teachers come to us as teachers. But Miss Continu didn't allow it. So in my time, nobody did. Uh, science up to O level. We only did biology as a subject. No physics, no chemistry. Because we only had one science mistress, an English woman who can't, I mean, she can't run the whole school, you know, teaching all those subjects. So we had to do without uh, science. So when you say you alone, when only three of you, five of you going to sixth form, what did the rest do? They continued. Uh, most of them went to teacher training, and there were those who went to nursing also. No, it, it was bad. It was bad those days. And um, it would have been much simpler if we had had uh, teachers come and teach, you know, like physics and chemistry at Wose Girls. But in my time, we didn't have a male teacher at all. The only male person who was uh, in the school was a um, 
school bearer, an elderly gentleman whose daughter was actually in Form 5 at Jose Girls. And he doubled as our music master when we were uh, preparing for the speech day. Wow. <laughs> you know, so it, it tells you something about uh, our headmistress. We've come a long way, I suspect. We have come a long way. You know, I mean, the, even um, before the school moved to Kakundo, somebody like uh, Mrs. Mary Grant, Dr. Mary Grant, yes. she trained as a doctor because she, the school on the, in, in Cape Coast, when it was in Cape Coast, was very close to uh, advancement. So she was taking science classes in advancement. That was before Miss Compton came on the scene. Wow. <laughs> but so it, it tells you that she just didn't want any male teachers at all in the school. The campus. And we were just perching on that top of the hill. <laughs> Let's talk about Commonwealth Hall and your experience in the Vandal City. Commonwealth Hall has this block which is at one end of the chapel. That was exactly where I was. Oh. <laughs> Next yeah. to the pond. Yes, that's where all the girls were. And we stayed there for a year. And the following year, was water hall was ready. So we moved into water hall, but the kitchen wasn't organized. So um, we would go to Commonwealth Hall for our meals. It, it's really interesting that Commonwealth Hall now is the only male hall in Legon. And it started off as a mix hall, you know. But anyway, we um, then decided that, you know, climbing all those numerous steps to come over to, to go and eat. By the time you get down, the food would have just, you know, dissipated in your system or something. So eventually we were able to arrange for Legon Hall to have us go there for uh, our meals, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. So. Some of these stories sound very, very, very <laughs> interesting. But give me an idea about how university education was like in your time on, on campus. Um, who, who went to first year? And I'll tell you what, who went to first year? They give us, they call it Bangla. They give us every two weeks pocket money from the government. And then they give us tea at 10 a.m. Mm-hmm. And a few other perks that we thought were fantastic. And then everybody was laughing at us and seeing that before we came, it was far, far better than this. And I couldn't imagine oh, yeah, what, what, what they meant by better because to us it was very nice. <laughs> I didn't realize that they even continued as, you know, the giving allowances to students after that time. But we, when we were there, the university was University College of uh, Ghana, that is a college of London University. And so the programs were all uh, straight from London. And we did get allowances. I mean, food was just free. Every meal, lunch and dinner were always at a minimum two-course meal. Wow. You know? And I remember one thing that uh, Christmas dinner was a proper... Christmas British dinner. You mean on campus? On, in the hall, yes. <laughs> Who had time for Christmas So dinner? we had, they actually flew, of course, oh, well, there were only a handful of Ghanaian lecturers then at the time. 
So the British lecturers and the white lecturers, they decided to maintain their own system. And I'm sure they flew in, or maybe they brought turkeys, which were then prepared in the hotels or someplace. But it was ridiculous. <laughs> I mean, now looking back, I think it's ridiculous. But we were being trained as proper British university students, as it were. But roast, roast turkey and everything. So, oh, every dinner was um, at least two course meals. You have, you have uh, soup, main meal, and then you will have a dessert. And Christmas time, this was be standing there, and they would dish out all these different things, and they would dress up properly, you know. It, it was very formal, and we had to say a prayer. And if you were late, you never came into it anymore. What did this do for you as a career person? Me? The whole experience, how did it influence your career? Um, it made you realize that, you know, I must say, you see, this was the time when Ghana had become independent not too long ago. And quite a number of the uh, fresh, first graduates from Nikon, and even in my, uh, my year group, most of them went into the foreign service. And I think that was part of the idea, to give them the exposure to being and you go into very formal dinners and formal locations, how to comport yourself and so on. And uh, we had to wear our gowns for lectures and for dinner. <laughs> I'm sure somebody's listening from the University of Ghana or any of the universities and wondering, what, what, what changed? I mean, why, how come it changed so much over the years? If you just join us, this is the voice of Professor Florence Abner Dolphin the first female pro-vice-chancellor of the University of Ghana. She, she's done so much more that we are teasing out tonight as we get to hand out with her on your virtual university. We want to switch to her top 10 at this point because that's why you brought her here. Yeah. I'm sure that there's so much more that we'd like to ask you about. Prof, this series is designed to hang out with mentors from various fields and just ask them, in the course of your life and your career, what are the principles that you've lived and worked with and why are they important to you? And so let's find out your first five of your top ten principles. Yes. What will be number one? Number one is actually that every morning when I get up, I must say a prayer that thanks God for waking me up healthy and everything. My father actually was a Methodist minister. And when, right from childhood, we would always have a morning uh, prayer session, even before we went to fetch water, you know. And so it's become part of me. Now I, I do the prayer myself. I mean, it's not like a family thing. I pray in the uh, morning. And thank God for waking me up and being strong and everything. And also ask for the energy and wisdom to do whatever it is that I have to do during the day. And I think over time it has become such a basic part of me that it doesn't, you know, you know I think I get some... Courage 
peace of mind that God is in control in the rest of the day. Right. Oh, your principle number two. My principle number two is that you really have to treat people the way you want them to treat you. Wow. If you are nice to people, most people will be nice to you. There are people who probably have their own um, problems, and so, you know, it affects the way they relate to other people. But I think that um, it is important that you make sure you don't... Personally, when somebody does something that uh, to upset me, when I see the person, I get upset. And I really don't see why I should allow somebody to mess up my day, if you see what I mean. So I try as much as possible to treat people the same way as I want them to treat me. And if somebody is just too difficult, then the best thing is to ignore. Ignore them. Yes. Right. So treat people the way you want them to treat you. Right. What would be number three? One thing is that I told you you have a prayer in the morning. The first thing. The this number three is that you know you must have faith in God that He is in control of your life. Mm. Again, I must say that um, this is part of the training that we got from my father. And uh, you really don't go messing around with, you know, various things, creating problems when there's no reason for it, and so on. So the thing is that you must have faith that things will work out fine as long as God is in control. Let me ask, let me find out from your time as uh, Pro Vice Chancellor and as you went through the ranks holding various positions in the university. Did you, did you find yourself sometimes in crisis situations and using this particular principle, trusting God that you, you will come out well? Definitely. I mean, there were people who were really uh, unpleasant. And the important thing is that you have to keep a straight head and hope that, you know, if you pray over some issues, God, the good Lord will be able to give you the courage to face them. But I remember, you know, there were a few occasions when I had to really just stand firm and deal with people in a way which will make them realize that they can't just take me for granted. Did people sometimes try to take you for granted? Oh, yeah, people, number one, <laughs> even, okay, let me just tell you, when those days uh, we did what they call a forum, and there were five of us, four men and me, and the university uh, and, uh, senior members would ask you questions about what you, they think you should be doing for them when they, yeah. So we did that, and um, at the end of which, a date was fixed when we were, everybody was going to vote whether they want, which person they wanted. 
And that particular one was really interesting because I got almost 50% of the votes. Out of five candidates? Out of the five candidates, yeah. What do you do differently? <laughs> I don't know. I, you know, there were not many of us women in Legon and the, uh, and on, on the academic staff. Now we've got so many young women and staff. And when I, I first became a dean of faculty of arts, right. and that election, I won by one vote, 37-38. And I remember one head of department who was known to be very nasty to the younger lecturers and so on. So I had to go and try and sort of talk to the members of the department and him there and try to let them know that, look, we are not in secondary school. I mean, everybody is teaching their own subject. You are independent and so on. So we should treat everybody with respect. You know, one of them, a head of department in one of the departments, just told me off in no uncertain terms. And there were students around. Yes, in front of his office, and there was a uh, the corridor. And uh, I really got annoyed. So I went home, go back, got over the shock and everything, and wrote him uh, a letter. Strongly worded. Like, strongly worded letter and told me, never dare talk to me like that again. It, it's a very interesting situation. I mean, I'm saying this because, you know, I think that quite a number of men just resent the fact that they have a woman in a senior position. And I believe women in the public service probably suffer a lot because of that. With the, the groundbreaking effort that people like you have put in, looking back now at what must have happened a couple of decades ago, or maybe three decades ago, would you see that this generation has benefited from the foundations you laid and sacrifices you made? Maybe, um, yeah, you, you, you may call it benefiting, but the thing is that now there are a lot more women in the university who are on the academic staff, holding all sorts of positions. And the younger men, I think, you know, people in my generation felt too big as men, if I may say so. Uh, well, maybe that's why, that's, that's why I'm asking these questions, because these are issues that we need to discuss. Yeah. Some time ago, they were taboo subjects, but I was raised by my mother. My father died very early. My mother raised me up single-handedly. She's mm -hmm. my hero. I work with comfort. I look at it as a great achiever that I'm privileged to work with. And so it, it, it's never been an issue with me, but I, I'm just saying these are realities that were covered previously or were taboos, I guess, previously. But yeah. we've made progress in being able to even talk about them, in being able to deliberately resolve some of them. And I suspect that it wasn't like that in your time. Quite. And and actually, you, you just hit the nail on the head. We, you know, there were mothers who have, most young people these days have mothers who have had a formal education. Right. Some of them have even taught their children in school and so on. 
And therefore, the young men grew up having a certain level of respect for women because they respect their mothers. You know, in my generation, my mother never But she just, you know, knew that whatever it is that my father said I should do or whatever must be the proper thing because he has been through school and <laughs> levels of education and become a reverend and so on. So she really was very supportive. Yeah. But I think that young people did this and have the protection. We'll have some more time to explore this. Let me take quickly your number four and five and then we'll go for a break. Uh, number four, I think, is, you know, treat people um, the way you want them to treat you. Right. Because if you... People can react violently when they feel threatened. So if you treat people, you know, with reasonable tolerance and so on, I think, I hope they will also treat you the same way. Right. These are principles that you must have formed out of your own experiences with people. Yes, yes, yes. Most people are reasonable. And if you try to reason things out with them, they will treat you the same way. What would be the fifth one? The fifth one is um, work ethic. You know, if you have some work to do. You should make time to plan it, prepare whatever is necessary to do, and then make sure that it is done in a way in which people wouldn't have cause to criticize. Some people will criticize you. In any case, you probably wouldn't, it wouldn't be the most perfect thing. And you too should be prepared to accept criticisms from people who do that. Yeah. Right. If you just join us, this is Springboard of Virtual University. My guest for today, Professor Florence Abner Dolphin, the first female pro vice chancellor of the University of Ghana. She's written this book from Achina Chrome to pro vice chancellor. The story of Professor Florence Dolphin. I love biographies because when you read our biographies, when you read biographies, it, it opens you up to somebody's 14 years of experience, 50 years of experience, and you just, and, and, or 70 years of life and lessons. You just learn it all in one day. I mean, it's just amazing. And this is just a short read. If you are a voracious reader, you can finish this in a couple of hours, but priceless lessons all packed into one. After the break, I'll be asking her about another aspect of her work the Tool for Educational Fund, the National Reconciliation Commission, and some of the other aspects that she engaged herself in in public life. But her first five principles, start your day with prayer, treat people with respect no matter who they are, have faith in God that is in control of your life, four, do unto others as you would want them to do to you, and then five, work ethic, plan to do your job and execute it. Let's go for a break as we cross over to the data skin segment. And let me remind you, at the end of this program, I want to ask you, what did Professor Dolphin speak about on the 25th of August when she came on the virtual university? And the answer is all over this show. 
when you post the correct answer on our social media stream, I'm going to get a, a, an autographed copy of this book. In fact, she will autograph this copy, and I will send it to you. I'm going to, we're going to send it to you wherever you are in the world as your gift for getting it right. I'm going to give you a clue. As we cross over to Nicole for the Data is King segment. Nicole, what do you have for us? Lifelong learning. A World Economic Forum article says Warren Buffett invests 80% of his time in reading and thinking. Successful leaders are lifelong learners. Barack Obama read one hour each day while he was in office. Bill Gates says his greatest fear is losing his brain. He reads a book a week and sets aside two weeks each year for reading vacations. As it is often said, Leaders are readers. Here are four things to do to become a lifelong learner. One, own your learning. Two, embrace risks and failure. Three, practice quiet contemplation. Four, learn from people and circumstances around you. So our question for today is, what immediate step are you taking to ensure that you and the people around you are lifelong learners hi this is albert and i have some great news for you join us live for the virtual convocation of the springboard 2021 roadshow this is the quarter two edition and it comes up live on the 10th of june thursday the 10th of june from 10 a.m till 12 noon we'll continue to explore our theme of repositioning and focus on helping young people navigate their way and find opportunities in the face of COVID-19. Our keynote speaker for this edition is Selma Dadevo, CEO of MTN. We'll also be joined by our guest mentor, Ken Oferiata, the finance minister. The focus is on holding the hands of these young people and walking them through and pointing them to where opportunities lie if you are a young person aged between 18 and 35 this is your moment join your colleagues from all over the world as we congregate on twitter facebook instagram youtube and our various online platforms as well as tv and radio springboard is brought to you by the springboard ratio foundation in partnership with mtn polls umb bank the enterprise group media partners the multimedia group and the Graphic Communications Group. Make a date on the 10th of June, 10 a.m. till 12 noon online. God bless you. Los mejores viajes nacen en la carretera. Pero este comenzará en tu mente. ¿Escuchas ese rugido? ¿Sientes la experiencia de poder? ¿La emoción de la libertad? Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC. Don't be left out. Download the MTN Pulse app from the App Store or Play Store to mash up all day, every day. You can also enjoy more mashup. Just buy the new Mega Bundle and get 3 gigabytes data, extra 400 megabytes for your social apps, and free MTN to MTN Pulse every Monday. So just go ahead, feel the pulse on MTN Pulse. Just be. We're good together everywhere you go. From football fans. Go! 
to football star. At Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties, so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we are poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. From tabletop trader to supermarket owner. At Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties, so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. Welcome back to Springboard and Virtual University, brought to you by the Springboard Racial Foundation, in partnership with the Multimedia Group and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, UMB Bank, the Enterprise Group, with support from my joy online and the graphic business. My guest for today, Professor Florence Abna Dolphin, sharing her top 10 with us. And so far, lesson number one, start your day with prayer. Number two, treat people with respect. Number three, have faith in God. Number four, do unto others as you would want them to do to you. And number five is work ethic. Prof. Before the break, Nicole was talking about an interesting subject. And for those of you who have been trying, if by now you don't have it right, there's nothing I can do for you. Because the answer to the question, on the 25th of August 2008, the subject of our conversation on that fourth edition of the Springboard Virtual University was, guess what? Lifelong learning and reading. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, that, that was the topic. So if, if you got it right on the, on, the, on, the, on social media, you know that you, the book is coming to you straight away. But Prof, how relevant is that one in our journey? Lifelong learning yes. and reading. The thing is that um, if, you know, I mean, you have so many years to live and if you think that just going to school and finishing school is all that you need, then you have a problem because there is so much that happens in life to everybody that if you don't learn from them, then you have a problem. Wow. Serious problem because that's what molds your character, your thinking, your relationship with people, and so on. So I think that, yes, you need, um, at every stage in your life, it will be impossible not to find something that you hadn't thought about before. Let's focus on reading, something that I know you are very passionate about. How critical is reading oh, in this whole conversation? Reading is just so... I, Sometimes I wonder 
some people are just too busy, you know, uh, too active. And sitting down quietly for an hour, for example, becomes a problem. And they can't sit down and read. But the thing is that there is so much you can learn in a book. Any book, even. It may be something that you approve of or something that you don't approve of. And then you realize that the reason why you don't approve of that thing. You know, so next time you will avoid it. But um, I think that in most schools, well, I don't know now, but in my time you have rest hour in boarding school. And that's the time that you can't sleep in the afternoon and then go for evening uh, prep and so on. So you, you have to read something. And there is no book that you, can, you will read that you can't learn something from. Either you learn something that is very positive and therefore you use that an exam- as an example in your own life or something that is so bad that you will not even touch that type of thing. But yet. you still have learned something. Mm-hmm. Right, let's go to your number six in your list. Um, it's leadership. Right. What about leadership? leadership. That, um, you know, maybe some people are born leaders, as it were. Any time you have a group of children around, one person will stand out as somebody who wants to do things and so on. But I think every individual can be a leader if they bring their mind to it. So you shouldn't think you are too small to you know, take responsible, responsible position. Um, you may be having a disability. I remember there's a girl who became a senior prefect at Hoslegas who had a limp. You know, about, and she was, everybody says that she was such an excellent senior prefect, you know. So you don't have to be, uh, condemn yourself because you have a disability. You shouldn't say, oh, I'm just a woman. You know, we used to say that in my generation. People, now you have women, compete, you know, standing for elections and competing for a whole lot of things. And... Nobody thinks that there's anything wrong with it. And you shouldn't think that, oh, well, everybody says that I'm too soft or too hard or something. You can always make adjustments to your life and uh, get things done properly in your particular um, profession or whatever. Right. And that will be your number six. Let's go to number seven. Number seven is family. I, I, I think family is one thing that everybody should make an effort to treasure. Family is not just even father, mother, and children. It is a wider thing, an extended family and so on. And if you really get close to your the members of your extended family, there's so much you can learn from them. Advice that they can give you, which your parents may not even have thought about, and so on. And um, I hope that 
parents and guardians would really cultivate a very strong family relationship with the young people that they live with because that's the only way those young people can grow up to become responsible because they will look at the older person in their family and say, oh, yeah, daddy would do it this way or uncle would do it that way. And that's part of the learning. They sometimes think the older generation is too prescriptive. Do this, do that, do this, and do not engage them on their terms, trying to understand their world. What do you say to that? Well, you know, the thing is that sometimes you just have to let the young people know that, look, if you are going to insist on doing things on your own terms all the time, <laughs> when you get into trouble, don't come. <laughs> Do trouble in your own terms. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, so I think uh, bonding in family really makes a lot of difference to young people. Right. Mm. Let's go to number eight. Number eight is uh, friendship. Friendship and um, I think that, you know, whoever you are, you really need a close friend, somebody your age, maybe a little older or younger, but somebody you can relate to very, very sincerely. If you have a problem, you can go and cry on the person's shoulder so if you have any issues, you can honestly and truly open up and discuss it with the person. So they, it's possible that in the public, they will, everybody will see you as that big person, that true vice chancellor. But when you go to that person's house, you're not, you're not true vice chancellor. You're just, you're just Abner. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and I think actually the, the, that comment is so true. There are some people when they get into a certain position, they think you are being um, like cheap if you are relaxing with younger people or junior staff or something like that. But at the end of the day, you never know how a junior staff can probably get you information that can save your organization. You know, I think people should just stop being uh, what we call a starched coat or something. You know, you are too stiff. Right. I think people should learn to relax. Is your outlook on life influenced by your father, your Methodist <laughs> minister home upbringing? Did it influence you? He really, you know, he, he was, um, he will and remember, my father would hold your hand like that and use his two fingers to beat you when you were children. But he would do that and then later on call you and tell you that, you see, I shouldn't have done that to you, but you did this, that's why I did it. And, and so you know that, look, don't go there anymore next time. Do the right thing, you know. He, he was a teacher too. He started off as a teacher before he came a reverend minister. That combination is very nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, having been a, a teacher for quite some time before, he, he, it made a lot of difference to the way he related to us. Let's go to your number nine. Um, the <laughs> giving excuses right. and trying to avoid blame, you know. 
you can come up with all the excuses in the world, but at the bottom line is that maybe if you hadn't done whatever it is that you did for which you are finding excuses, something wrong wouldn't have happened. Somebody wouldn't have got hurt. Somebody wouldn't have got sacked from the job or something like that. I think um, when you are doing something, even if it's unconscious that uh, you unconsciously did committed an offense, accept responsibility and stop giving excuses. All it means is that you should learn that next time you don't do the same thing again. Wonderful. And the tenth point? Taking responsibility. In any situation, you have opportunity to take responsibility and show a certain level of leadership by counseling people, by helping people do things the correct way, by even showing how things should be done. And I think that is, uh, you know, we tend to take things for granted a lot and we always have excuses for things that we should have done right, which we didn't. And I think that one's um, character can be really uh, defined positively or negatively, depending on whether the person accepts responsibility for what they do and admit it and make effort to change it. You know. And does it mean sometimes having the boldness to say, I'm sorry? Exactly. Exactly. It's nice coming from you as a man because most men don't think oh, that. Oh, we repent with sackcloth and ashes. Because, you know, they think that... Okay, so I'm sorry I, if I've not looked for you enough. I'm sorry if I've not been a good a good son. I'm sorry if... Anything, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, 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 sorry. But I tell, I tell you what, Prof. It's, You've been doing such wonderful work. I don't expect that you have any, you know. Fortunately, you are working with your wife, so comfort can't complain because we work together. But um, really, there are in an, a number of homes where fathers will accuse the mothers. Look at what your ch- your child is doing. Because you didn't correct the person. In the meantime, the father spends for ninety percent of his time outside and only ten percent at home. You see what I mean? Yeah. So I think that um, you know bonding with the people you live with and inspiring confidence in the children uh, is very very important. It's surprising how children carry over into adulthood the things that they learned wrongly when they were young. Yeah. <laughs> so much to learn from Professor Florence Abnadov. In case you just joined us, this has been another inspiring edition of my top 10 with Professor Florence Abnadolphine. She's the first female Pro Vice Chancellor of the University of Ghana and a big mentor to Comfort and I. I've known her for 34 years and she's the author of this brand new book from Achina Chrome to Pro Vice Chancellor by Florence Abnadolf. And I recommend it wholeheartedly for you, coming from somebody who's an educationist, 
a patriot, and a mentor. The 10 principles you shared, one, start your day with prayer, two, treat people with respect, three, have faith in God, four, do unto others as you would have them do to you, five, work ethic, six, leadership, seven, family, treasure family, not just nuclear, but extended as well, eight, friendship, nine, avoid excuses in the blame game, and ten, take responsibility and say, I'm sorry, if you have to. Let's find out which one is your favorite on social media. Let's have that debate once again and find out which one is your favorite and why. Maybe based on your own experiences and your learnings and your own top 10. Let's find out which of these 10 is your favorite. Prof, let me thank you for what you've done, not just in the field of education, including the O2 for Education Fund. Mm. And sign off with just a minute um, about your work in the National Reconciliation Commission. I spotted that on chapter 10 of this book, and you had the privilege and responsibility as well of being one of the eminent persons on that commission and sat live on television, mm. interacting with families who were sharing their pain, their experiences. Just to sign off, as somebody who has this nation so strong on your heart, what was that like for you, and what did that do for you? Just to close us today. Yeah, that that was really, really, really a very difficult period. I mean, it it was. Sometimes you sit there, people are telling their stories, and you know, I remember the press men would sometimes write in the paper. Yes, and the women were uh, crying because they think these things have happened, and uh, you know, those who thought that. It was a proper thing. People have done wrong in Ghana, and they had to be punished and so on. And I think that, you know, I only hope that those things won't come back again. And really, I don't know what it is that uh, was happening in those years, because the way... Some women, for example, market women were beaten up for selling cola nuts above control price. And you ask yourself, when did cola nuts have a control price? It was horrible. And I think that I mentioned a, a few cases where I think there are lessons that Ghanaians must learn. And you captured that in the book. I've captured that in the Wonderful. Book. Prof, just in a minute, just before you go, what would it take to produce more Florence Abna Dolphins in Ghana? Oh, we are producing them now. Uh, I think that now, you know, it's just beautiful to see young girls. When you see them and ask, what do you want to be? And they start from academic things and end up in boxing and everything. You know, I mean, Nothing is, you know, debarring any woman from doing anything like that. And I think we should thank God for that. We want to thank God for the progress we've made and thank people like you who, as they say, broke the glass ceiling and made it possible for young girls to dream and to do big things for God, for country, and for continent, and for the world at large. A big thank you to you, Prof. Dolphin, for hanging out with us here on your virtual university. 
Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I, I really have enjoyed the program. Wonderful. <laughs> and if I can add a prayer that this book will be successful, that people will buy you. it, and very important, they will read it. They will read it and they would go on to affect their generations. And just by reading what you've written, that many will be inspired to also live out their dreams and build a great nation that we all desire. Thank you. So this has been the my top ten with Professor Florence Abnadolf. My name is Albert Okran. A big thank you to MTN, UMB Bank, the Enterprise Group, the Multimedia Group, and the Graphic Business for supporting this broadcast. Till we come away again next week, on behalf of Springboard Group, God bless you, God bless you, and God bless you. We are out. Escuchas ese rugido, sientes la experiencia de poder, la emoción de la libertad. Ya estás preparado para vivir tu nueva aventura. Nueva Ram 1500, hecha para vivir. Ram es una marca registrada de FCA US LLC.